So, last month, we looked at John 3, verses 16 through 18. Um, Passage that everybody has heard thousands upon thousands of times. Even unbelievers are familiar with John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. And in those verses, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about God's demonstration of love in sending his son so that people could experience the new birth that he talked about previously in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 17, Jesus said that he wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world, but to provide salvation through his own name. Now stop and put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes for just a minute. All right? Just to to set the idea here, Nicodemus was on the religious ruling council in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. He was a scholar. He was an expert in the law. He was a Pharisee. He had made it his life's study and purpose to provide the people of Israel with an understanding of how to be obedient to God's word. Because that's what the Pharisees were all about. This is what God's word says. So when somebody had a question, how do I keep from breaking God's word? The Pharisees were the people that gave them the understanding. Nicodemus was probably a proponent of the idea that when Messiah did show up, he would come into Jerusalem, drive the Romans out, set Israel free, establish God's kingdom on earth, and basically... Destroy the Gentiles, or at least put them in their place. Because after all, Israel was God's chosen people. And Jesus just told him, Messiah came to provide salvation, not condemnation. What? How many times have you heard or even thought that there might be a discontinuity between the God in the Old Testament and the God in the New Testament. Have you heard that before? Anybody raise your hand if you've heard that before. If you haven't heard that before, you're not talking enough about God. Because that is one of the biggest complaints that people who are familiar with the Bible will lodge. Is that, well, God in the Old Testament is a God of vengeance. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of destroying people. And then you get to the New Testament, it's all salvation and mercy. When we read the Old Testament over and over and over again, we do read about God bringing judgment on the enemies of his people. And oh, by the way, the enemies include his people when they're disobedient. And here Jesus says, I came not to condemn, but to deliver. Just imagine what Nicodemus is thinking. First Jesus hits him with, you must be born again. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And oh, by the way, Messiah comes to save, not to condemn. 
So let's take a look at our passage this morning. Um, We're going to start off uh, with verse 18 over again, and we're going to go through verse 21. So John chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 21. If you have a paper copy Bible, please turn your pages to get there. And if you are a modern individual who uses an electronic device, please tap your way over to John uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 18. And once you get there, if you can, please stand with me for God's Word. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and help us to understand it today. Please have a seat. So Jesus tells us why he didn't come to condemn. Because the world's already condemned. That's our default position. That's where we start. That's cheerful news, isn't it? That's a wonderful way. That is That does not fit with the modern psychological understanding of how people need their self-esteem to be stoked. If you look at surveys from a religious perspective, doesn't matter what religion, if you look, sadly, even from a Christian perspective or from a secular perspective, you will find that the vast majority of people in this world believe that mankind is basically good. I don't know how anybody who has ever raised children's into adulthood could ever believe that mankind is basically good. And I have four relatively well-behaved young adults that I have raised. (laughs) You're lucky she's not sitting with you. I'll send out RSVPs for Robbie's funeral later. Um, Basically, the idea is that we're all really, we're just misunderstood. We're just, we just don't know any better. So the answer to all of the violence, all of the wickedness, the greed, the exploitation, all of that is just from a place of ignorance. We're just not educated enough. That's what the world really believes, and sadly, that's what a big majority of people in the church believe. It could not be further from the truth. Jesus said that the world is already condemned. We wouldn't be condemned if we were basically good. The Bible makes it really, 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 really clear that we're not basically good. We're going to do a lot of flipping. If you want to try to keep up, you can. Um, if, if you're like me and you can't keep up with this much scripture page turning, um, I will put a plug in 
This sermon is recorded on YouTube. It is published on YouTube. You can go out to watch it as many times as you would like. And all of the scripture references will be there. Okay? So we're going to start in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Huh. Remember that when the political season starts. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Why is the person who trusts in man cursed? Because man is going to let him down. Verse 9, same chapter. That is not verse 9. That is verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I was listening to a song yesterday and it repeatedly, over and over and over again, the chorus of the song, follow your heart because that's the best way. Not ain't. Because the heart is deceitful above everything else. Your heart will lead you astray. Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 6. I love it when the Bible uses this analogy for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, not just some, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We're all like sheep. Anybody in here grow up with sheep? Anybody? You've seen them? Okay. If, if, if you spend any time around sheep, when, when I was in high school, right around the time of my junior prom, my dad sold cars. And as a car salesman, they would often take vehicles in as trade-ins. And he took in a, uh, a Dodge Voyager minivan as a trade-in that had been owned by a family with a sheep farm. And they were very much like that man that Nathan uses to, to teach David about his sin. You know, the, the baby lamb that the, 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 what the poor man had, that he would, he would take it in his house, he would eat with it, he would let it sleep on his bed, he spent all of his time caring for and nurturing it. Apparently their sheep rode in the van with them. It didn't have air conditioning. It had a fabric interior, not leather. Y'all are beginning to see where this goes, right? Sheep are stinky, smelly, and dumb animals. They will stand in the same place and eat the tops of the grass, the middle of the grass, the bottom of the grass, the roots of the grass, the rocks under the grass. Unless the shepherd moves them somewhere else. And Isaiah says, all we like sheep. And of course, Jesus in this passage says... Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
That's where we start from, is condemnation. When do we start? There's a lot of debate about that. There's a lot of debate about that. I'm going to tell you, if you have a pulse, you start out condemned. This is the, this is the, the first point I really want you to grab a hold of. Mankind, without Jesus, is sinful. Not sinful, but sinful. You ever have somebody tell you you're full of it? You're full of it. You're full of sin. Everything we do, we are brimming to the top with it. We are overflowing with sin. Everything, even the good stuff that we do, is filthy rags. Again, Isaiah. Everything is touched with sin. No amount of education, okay, it doesn't matter if you have a PhD, doesn't matter if you have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree or a high school education or GED or if you're a dropout. Doesn't matter. No amount of education, no amount of opportunity. Whether you live in a third world country that's undergoing a famine or whether you live in the United States where there is opportunity abounding if people are willing, excuse me, willing to take it. No amount of self-worth. I can believe in myself all I want while I'm sinning wholeheartedly. No amount of human effort can. Can is a word that indicates ability. Okay? Y'all remember when you were in school, Mrs. So-and-so, can I go to the bathroom? You probably can. But the question you want to ask is, may, do you have permission? In this case, I'm talking about ability, can. Nothing we do can result in the improvement of the human condition. Period. Absolutely, positively, nothing. Especially if it's apart from faith in Jesus. Jesus didn't have to condemn the world. That's the default. And with condemnation comes judgment. So that means the world is facing judgment. Who lives in the world? People. People are the ones that sin. That means people are facing judgment. What does that judgment look like? Ultimately, we know it's hell, right? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But there's something here that, that Jesus says that, that makes you think. And I imagine you've probably asked this question yourselves, or, or you've at least heard it asked, why doesn't everybody who hears the gospel accept it? Why do people turn down the free offer of salvation? It just doesn't make sense. Now, maybe it's because I, it's who I am, but if somebody offers me something for free, I'm going to take it, whether I need it or not. I don't know how. 
I could probably ask my wife, and she doesn't even know. I have so many pairs of socks because in the last three or four years in the in the information technology world that I, I have to live in at work, we go to these uh, conferences and expos, and all of these big companies for their their advertising, their their swag that they give away. You know, it used to be pens and mouse pads and stuff like that. Well, now everybody's gone to mobile, so mouse pads don't do any good, and most everybody takes notes on their iPads or their phones. So, what do they give away? Socks. Y'all are laughing. I'm being dead serious. I probably have 24 different pairs of socks from various companies that I will never do business with. They're free. Well, they're all pairs of socks. Do you know how many USB chargers I have in my house? Holy cow. Two men, Yes. If somebody offers me something for free, I will take it. But when we offer somebody the gospel and salvation, which is for free, people have been known to walk away and say, you know what, I'm glad that works for you. It's free. It's paid for. Well, Jesus tells us that that part of that Part of that judgment comes from the condemnation and it answers that question. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That sounds awesome, but I don't want to give up my pet sin. Eternal life? I actually had somebody send me a comic. This said, eternal life, no thanks. I've had enough of this one. That's because people don't have an understanding of what eternal life means. Jesus says, people like the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. When do the majority of violent crimes take place? At night, after sunset. Why? Because we know it's evil, and so we want to hide it. Why did Adam and Eve hide in the garden? They were ashamed. They hid. Even though our natural direction is towards evil, we still know that it's evil. There is this characteristic that humanity has that no other animal really has. Now, I have puppies. Okay, you all know this. I've talked about it recently. I have two puppies. They are absolutely adorable. Absolutely adorable. Last night, they were out in the backyard. Something happened in the backyard. They were in the house. They came through the living room where we were sitting watching a YouTube video or something. They went out into the front room of the house, and within a matter of seconds, crash. So Steph goes out into the front room, and they had knocked things down off of a shelf onto the floor, including my iPad. 
by the time I made it to the front room, both of them had hightailed it to the bedroom. One of them in the kennel. Does this mean that dogs have a conscience? No, this means that dogs expect discipline because we've trained them that there are certain things that are disallowed. Human beings have a conscience. We have a moral compass. But just like everything else that we have, it's bent. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also bent slightly to the evil side. But we still have that conscience. In our psyche, we know that the things we do against one another are wrong. There are tribes in Africa that have rules against murder. They just redefine what murder is. It's okay to sneak over to the other tribe and kill their people. That's all right. But you don't kill one of your own. That's murder. They still have that moral compass. It's just bent. We also know that certain things are against God's will and plan, even in our sinful nature. That just doesn't stop us from doing them, but it oftentimes causes us to hide. Danny mentioned the excitement last Sunday night. Why was there excitement? Hmm? Four people were shot down on Highway 90, including a police officer. They all survived. Nobody was killed. But why was there so much excitement? Because believe it or not, the person that or people that did the shooting didn't hang around going, hey, did you see that? I shot those people. What did they do? They ran and hid. <laughs> That's our natural inclination when we do something we know is wrong. And Jesus says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light because they don't want their works to be exposed. We, we don't, per I say we don't, okay? I have social media and, and things that used to be hidden in the dark are now being paraded down Main Street and bragged about. We're, we're you know, the... The dark is getting a lot more sunshiny. But part of the judgment that we face for rejecting Jesus is continuing to reject Jesus. The unbeliever is so happy in their unbelief that they want to continue to unbelief. They want to continue in that path. And so God says, okay. Now, that's really hard for us to hear. That there are people that God says, you know what, you want to unbelief? Have your way. Now, you, you could be thinking, who would want hell and eternal punishment for their rebellion against God? Who would want that? Well, that no, of course that's not what they want. How many people do you know are that long thinking? 
We do not live in a world of planning and long thinking. We live in a world of instantaneous gratification. And I'm guilty just as much as the next guy. It takes two minutes to microwave a breakfast burrito. Guess who will microwave it for one minute and 30 seconds and then deal with a cold spot? We want it. We want it now. See, what, what people want isn't hell and eternal punishment. What they want, you can see, if, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you can see this very plainly in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to do a little, you know, Danny does his dramatic monologues where he actually gets dressed up and, and puts makeup on, and, and he's got a gift. I cannot do that kind of thing. Just can't, my memory ain't good enough. Okay? But I'm going to do a little... Uh, say two-person dialogue or three-person dialogue because Adam will get in here eventually. But this is, this, is the, this is the Genesis chapter 3, the fall, okay? Satan to Eve. Did God really tell you that you couldn't eat any of this fruit? So what's he doing there? He's leading Eve to doubt God's goodness and provision. Did God really say you can't have any fruit? Eve to Satan. Don't be silly. Of course he didn't say we couldn't have any of the fruit. He said we could have all of this fruit. Except from that tree. And oh, by the way, I don't think they had to go far from the tree. I imagine Satan was probably in the tree. You know, the serpent was probably hanging from the branches in the tree. And what made this tree different? I'm with Danny that God said, you can have any other fruit, just not this one right here. We can have any of the fruit we want, just not from this tree. We can't even touch that. If we do, we'll die. Is that what God said? No, he said, don't eat it. He didn't say anything about touching it. He said, don't eat it. Satan, you won't die. That's good fruit. Matter of fact, that's probably the best fruit here. God told you not to eat it because he knows that once you do, you'll be equal to him. You'll know the difference from good to evil, and you'll be able to make decisions for yourself. You won't have to rely on God to tell you what's good and what's bad. You can figure it out. Eve. Well, why wouldn't God want us to be able to know the difference between good and evil? Maybe this was just some kind of oversight. This fruit does look good. Oh, it's juicy. It's ripe. Adam, Adam, where are you? Oh, there you are. You've been here the whole time. You have got to try this fruit. Adam, whoa, that's amazing. Why do I suddenly feel a breeze? Uh Uh-oh. 
Eve, God's here for his fellowship time in the garden. We need to hide. We're naked. What was it that they were tempted by? Was it the fruit? It was not a piece of fruit. They were tempted by the possibility of equality with God, the ability to know good from evil, to make the decision for themselves. So what does God give to those who continually reject the call of Jesus? The ability to decide good from evil for themselves. You want to be disobedient? Be disobedient. God doesn't force us. He does not twist our arms and make us come to obedience. He gives us autonomy. Now, the state of Mississippi also gives us autonomy. The state of Mississippi also sets a speed limit. Every last one of us in here who has the ability to drive a car has the ability to choose good from evil. It's not my fault my shoes are heavy. God still makes the law. He just gives us the ability to choose whether we're going to follow it or not. Right is always seeking to please and obey God in everything that we say and do. Wrong is everything else. So in case you think I'm taking license with what Jesus said about this, I'm going to do something that I don't very often do. Okay? We're, we're about to take a sharp right-hand turn with this message. If, if you think that I'm taking license with what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit confirms it elsewhere in Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. This is from the New English Translation. For although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give Him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their senseless hearts were darkened. God's, you want to continue in your disbelief, have at it. Verse 24 that I actually said I was going to look at. Apparently I copied 21. Therefore God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Therefore God did what? Gave them over. If that's what you want, that's what you get. And see, wrong comes with a penalty. It comes with... That judgment doesn't stop with God just saying, okay, if that's the way you want it, you can have it that way. But there is that eternal part. See, we are eternal beings, just not in this, thank the Lord, just not in this flesh. 
And I can tell you this flesh is not eternal because it deteriorates every day. See, the, the, the penalty that comes with it, Paul, I'm going to talk a lot about Paul right now uh, from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. All of my Awana kids, all of my Awana leaders, anybody who spent an amount of time in church, what is Romans 6, 23? Go ahead. Holy cow. Did anybody understand that? Okay, let me start over again. For the wages of sin is death. We'll get there to the second part. Let's just deal with the wages of sin. You sin, you earn death. Now, wait a minute. How many of us are going to die? Right, but that's that's not what Scripture says. It doesn't say eternally, right? I'm going just by the words that are used. How many of us are going to die? All of us. Look, life is a 100% terminal condition. Nobody makes it out alive. Not temporally speaking. Physical death is a part of the penalty. Let's go back to the beginning. How many of us have sinned? All of us. The world stands condemned. If you have a pulse, you have sinned. Or you at least have that nature and capacity and ability within you for those children that are too young to make a volitional decision to consider themselves before they consider anybody else to include God. That sets the bar pretty young. Physical death isn't just part of it. There's also punishment that comes along with sin. Eternal, eternal, that's a word, eternal punishment. Punishment that goes on forever. An eternity facing God's wrath. The news isn't all bad, okay? Jesus didn't say that the entire world went to darkness because everybody, that he actually says there is a good part to this. There is a good piece to this. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, in God's name, for God's sake, for God's glory. There are always that remnant of believers. Be awesome if we were born with a tattoo saying whether we were going to be one of those or not. But we're not. So whoever does what is true comes to the light, but our natural condition is the exact opposite of that. So how would one ever do what is true? How would anyone ever come to the light? if our default position is towards the darkness. If only God had a plan. Oh, wait. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
So, if you're a believer, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So you meet the first condition there. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we have received power, whether we use it or not, is a different story. So now we have a responsibility to be His witnesses. I am not flying to Jerusalem until next year. (laughs) So I'm not going to be in Judea and not in Samaria until next year. So that means I don't have to do any of this until next year, right? Until that trip in October. No, because there's that and to the end of the earth. Now there's people who have said, you know, that, that Jerusalem, that should be the city that you live in. That should be your locality. That should be the people that you deal with on a daily basis. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, those people that are in your closest circle. Judea would expand that out. Maybe the cashier that you run into or the bus driver or, or the Uber driver. And then Samaria would be a little bit beyond that. Maybe the people you wouldn't normally go to, the people that would be outside of your normal circle. Maybe the homeless guy standing on the corner asking for money for food. But we're supposed to be his witnesses to keep moving because the clock keeps ticking. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you. Always to the end of the age. God does have a plan. You know what that plan is? It's us. We have a job to do, folks. Now it is five minutes till and I finally hit point two. Now this part's easy. This part's super easy. If you are here and you have a pulse and you claim the name of Jesus, you have a job to do, period. I don't care how old you are, there is no retirement age in the kingdom. We are commanded to be his witnesses, so that means we need to go tell the world what we have seen and what he has done, and we are to make people his disciples seems pretty simple right i didn't say easy i said simple in order to accomplish this task you need to have compassion on the world that is lost we've spent a long time talking about having love for one another about loving our enemies loving our neighbors loving those who persecute us Last time I was up here, I explained that that love that we're expected to have is a love that is sacrificial, that is active, that is selfless, that looks for the best for that other person no matter what it costs me. That means I might have to be uncomfortable. That means I might have to give up watching a football game. That means I might have to reach into my pocket and give that homeless person some money and take them to Burger King so they can eat because they're not going to listen to the gospel while their stomach is growling. And yet, the most common answer that people give when they're asked, why don't you share the gospel, is because I don't know how. 
Again, I'm going to plug the YouTube video because I'm going to give you a list. Dr. Dean James Kennedy produced one called Evangelism Explosion. Bill Fay produced another that we've gone through here before. We've done it twice here. And I did it once in Korea. It's called Share Jesus Without Fear. The Iwana program uses a tool called the Gospel Wheel. If you've ever worked in children's ministry, you've heard of the wordless book. VBS material from Lifeway condenses the process to the ABCs. Danny's favorite, Admit, Believe, Confess. There's the Romans Road to Salvation, which uses Scripture almost exclusively from the book of Romans. Many verses we've already talked about. So let me ask you, which one's more effective? Bingo, the one that you actually use. (laughs) None of them are effective if you go through the class and then never tell somebody about Jesus. The world and those people in it who have not trusted Jesus for their salvation stand condemned. If a global cataclysm happened today, all of those people who stand condemned will suffer eternity in hell. Their soul does not disappear at the time of death. They do not get annihilated. That's a, that's, that's a, a terrible error called annihilationism. They do not just cease to exist. They do not spend a period in a location where they can be purged of their sin and then get chucked over the fence into heaven. That's another error called purgatory. Okay? What happens is they spend eternity facing God's wrath. A lot of people say that they spend eternity separated from God. The person in hell would love to be separated from God just for a little while. What they're separated from is God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's grace. But what they're present with is 100% of God's holy justice. And for the person who sins, that is not a good thing to be present with. Doesn't matter if they have friends, family, parents, siblings that are Christians. Nobody gets, nobody inherits salvation. It's not passed down in a will. It is not granted or bequeathed to somebody. It is an individual action. Salvation is individual. Hell is the default. We have a job to do. Now I'm going to say if there is anybody who's here who does not have that relationship with Christ, listen closely because I'm going to give you the gospel. First, we need to understand that every person deserves that wage for sin. Every person has sinned. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last person. All of them. Chapter 6, verse 23. We already looked at that. The wages of sin is death. But, but, 
The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God provides a way for us to not suffer. And that's his son. When you share this with people, a lot of people at this point will say, well, that's great, but, but God doesn't know what I've done. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh, by the way, Jesus prayed for God to forgive the Roman soldier that was driving nails into his arms. Okay? We don't have to clean ourselves up. Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the depth of our sin, at the worst I have ever been, Christ died for me. He died for you too. So what do we do to appropriate this salvation? Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It really is that simple. It is simple. It's not easy. There's no magic prayer. There's no flashing lights. There's no mandatory sacrifice. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to pray with the preacher. Those are things we get to do. We get to... Danny and I, we have gotten... We have got the privilege of people coming and asking us to pray with them as they accept Christ. That's a, that's a gift to us. The salvation's done. You don't have to do that. You ought to do that. You ought to want to do something like that. Let people know about it. Be proud of it. Tell people, I belong to Jesus now. And there's a lot of other things that come after that. Like baptism. Y'all know how long it took me to be baptized after I was saved? 1998 to 2007. Not my best point. <laughs> and discipleship, maintaining fellowship with a local body of believers. There's a lot of things that we ought to do after salvation. That comes after salvation. The important part, the important piece is first believing and accepting Christ for your salvation. If you have not done that, I am going to implore you, if you feel the draw of the Holy Spirit, to pray now, to have a talk with God. I'm not going to give you a sinner's prayer because every prayer is a sinner's prayer. <laughs> but I will encourage you to have that discussion with the Almighty that you recognize your sin, you recognize your need for salvation, and you accept His Son, Jesus, in that place.